Welcome to the Radical Parenting Podcast. My name is Tony Shawcross, coming at you from Denver, Colorado. Hey, I'm Kara Corbat, and I live with my five-year-old daughter in Asheville, North Carolina. So uh, Kara and I usually uh, read and review a book every week uh, for the Radical Parenting Podcast, centering around these kind of common themes of, of honoring and respecting your child, giving them as much um, leeway and autonomy to be their own guide and their own growth uh, as possible. Um, and uh, this this week, Kara picked a, a, a great one, uh, a pretty thick book called Listen by Patty Whipfler. And so we're going to be talking about, about that book this week. Uh, yeah, wanna... thanks for reading it with me, Tony. It was yeah. a long one. No, I, I enjoyed it. And <laughs> I was just telling Kara that listening on audio tape, it keeps... For nonfiction, it's great. I mean, for fiction, it's great. For nonfiction, it's, it, especially with this book, I wish I had had the structure of a printed book where, where I could remind myself what chapter I'm in, that we're looking at examples of stay listening or setting limits or one specific thing or another. Because the book pretty much introduces ideas and then gives a bunch of examples of, of parents that Patty and her partners have worked with over the years. And occasionally I forgot what section I was in, but it all centers on really similar and familiar themes. If you're someone who's been listening to our podcast or if you have similar interests in this idea of like prime directive parenting and, and honoring and respecting your child and your parenting, I think that I think that a lot of the ideas that Patty introduces will be really familiar to you. Yeah, and there's um, five tools that she talks about. It's almost like <clears throat> it's almost like two books in one. The first half of the book is all about these five tools that, she, and she calls it parenting by connection. And the name of her organization, <clears throat> excuse me, is called Hand in Hand Parenting, and they have a great website with like beautiful blogs and videos, tons of free stuff, articles, and you can look up different topics. And then they also, you can become part of the parent club and get even more um, resources. Like there's free support calls and there's courses, online courses that you can get at a discount. It's a, it seems organization. I'm just sort of finding out about it and dipping my toe in the water. And there's a lot of support there for parents. Um, great. So if you anyway, the that, first that's... half of the book is all about these five tools. Sorry, I've got a delay and kind of a bad connection. I hope that doesn't uh, make the call too bad. But, um, but yeah, that website's handinhandparenting.org and we'll put the link down in the description. But keep going. Yes, for sure. So she's got these five. Yeah, she has these five tools. Special time, stay listening, setting limits, play listening, and then listening partnerships, which are for parents to speak to to each other and, and offload some of their own frustrations and um, feelings to another adult. And that's the first half of the book. The second half of the book is full of like story after story after story, all these examples that are illustrating the principles and the, and the tools and how they work. Yeah. So I wonder if we can talk about each one of these tools a little bit. Great. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, and in episode five of this season, I, uh, I talked with Itain, uh, another radical, radical honesty uh, coach. And she just happened to send me this long kind of like complaint about, about her life while I was reading this book. And I responded to her and told her about, about the listening partnerships introduced by Patty and, and thoughts about why I haven't really done that, when, especially when, when I'm single or don't have someone that I feel appropriate to like complain to. And, uh, 
and she was a big fan of it. So she, she, she left me a really long message on WhatsApp. So I didn't have to actually be there at the same time she wanted to complain, which is especially easy because she's in Belfast. And then just listened to her, her complaint and told her I was listening and then, and then re reciprocated and just vented to her about some stuff going on for me in my life. And then did it a little bit to you as well. So I, I like that yeah. idea. And before we get into the five, so yeah, we'll talk about each of the five. I want to say with that last one and kind of a theme throughout the book is that I think is so important in so many of these books, that, but doesn't get hit on, which is that you can't do any of this stuff that well if you aren't dealing with your own stuff. It, you have to have good, healthy release valves for your own things. And I do think I've seen in a couple instances, some people use their parenting and their children as a way to, to avoid dealing with their own stuff. And yeah, so the, this book just constantly reiterated, reiterated how important it is that you have these release valves and these healthy outlets for your own uh, issues so that they don't come out, uh, you know, in the heat of the moment when you're working with your child. Yeah. Uh, it was a, an important piece of this book. I'm, I think I want to keep hitting on it in every book when we can. Yeah, we've because we've covered like this empathizing with our children so many times with so many authors. And then Patty brings in this thing of getting empathy for ourselves because the listening partnership is a time where you literally just talk and vent and the other person listens and says very, very little. They're not giving advice. They are not problem solving or, or any of it. It's just a, a release valve. And that's what I love so much about all of her writing is that she talks so much about this releasing of feelings as being a healthy, inborn, healing process that it's actually this really elegant mechanism that we all innately have to release tension and offload feelings and um this is a little bit what i was missing in the yes brain mm -hmm. like in the yes brain they give lip service over and over again to feel your feelings and we all know that we're supposed to feel our feelings right but it's a different story to actually cry or and shake and sweat and rage and, and and to do that with another person and it's 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 messy you know mm -hmm. and it can be kind of ugly and and uncomfortable and scary and socially inappropriate and so I love how she just comes back over and over again to like the healing process of going all the way through the feelings to completion all the way going all the way in mm -hmm. as, as, as messy and, and that it's not, it's not about empathizing with words or with, with thoughts and in the, like on a cognitive level, but that it really happens in the body, you know, mm -hmm. through phys the physical process of, you know, crying, also laughing, which I never really thought of laughing that way. And she talks about laughing as being one of these physical processes that actually helps the body release tension and get over stuff. Yeah. You know? And that's what we're trying to do in Radical Honesty is, is get over stuff by going all the way through it to completion. Yeah. And I mean, from Gestalt therapy to so many different schools of, of therapy, they are kind of based on that idea, even like Wilhelm Reich, Brad references a lot. Uh, his work is also about letting this stuff like get out. And yeah, I think probably the 
core idea of radical honesty and, and a lot of other schools of, of, of kind of like self-improvement are that because of those things Kara just said, where it's not really socially appropriate, it's, it's you know, you only want to do it in certain settings. We all learn to stifle these feelings and emotions and sensations to be, to appear under control and not rock the boat and not upset people and not make a scene, but that that, that then prevents them from coming and going and from passing through us. And so, yeah, I loved also reading Patty just say like, your kid's blowing up, try to just deal with it right then. Don't take them to some other space where it's okay for them to, to have their, their, um, their feelings and express their feelings, just like, just, just deal with it right then. Um, yeah, so I agree. I think she's really focused on that and even talked about how our kids are like little gurus and teachers for us and, and that they are so good at, at expressing their feelings and feeling their feelings in ways that we've often forgotten or trained ourselves to stop doing. And we yeah. don't want to stifle them in that. Yeah, and that, that reminds me of Janet Lansbury as well, as often says that your child knows how to do this. Like they are the expert at, at offloading these, these big feelings and they know what to do and exactly how to do it. Mm -hmm. And our job is to like, basically be, be present with them, maybe slip a little pillow under the head if they're like, you think they might get a concussion. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't, my daughter's never gone to that extreme, but you know, you're going to keep them safe if they're, if they're thrashing or whatever. And you're just really warmly present and warm, lovingly accepting the whole process. And then we're giving ourselves as parents that same release valve by setting up a listening partnership with another parent. And I guess what I think Patty really understands that I haven't heard from that many authors is that it's not a logical process, that there's some kind of spontaneous transformation that happens after you have a good cry or a good belly laugh or, or that you yell and, and rage in, in some way that's safe for everybody. That some you don't have to do do anything to in order for something to change. That already, if I do that with my listening partner, my attitude and my my feeling towards my child is automatically different somehow in some way that I couldn't have predicted or controlled. And same thing for the child. If they have this big release over whatever a bedtime thing or sharing or or whatever it is that some, they then, the beauty of it is that afterwards, their beautiful little spirit comes out and they, they have, their rational brain comes back online, right? This is like the perfect book for us to do after Yes Brain, because mm -hmm. it's, it's really about how do you get from the no brain back into the Yes Brain? They have this big release. And then afterwards, um, I'm starting to really see this and believe this. They're more flexible. They're more loving. They're more joyful because they're not stuck in a like a tense, some kind of tense pattern where they're trying to say something's not right. I don't feel good. I've got something going on that I need help with. Yeah. Yeah. We all get upset. And I would say one of the mantras of radical honesty and of Brad Blanton is what, when you experience an experience, it comes and goes. When you resist an experience, it persists. Yeah. When you experience your experience, it comes and goes. When you resist your experience, it persists. 
And so, so often as parents, we resist upset, we resist anger, we resist these sensations. We don't want our child suffering. We aren't comfortable ourselves with being around upset and anger. And so we resist it. And that makes those experiences persist. You wrote, when you listen to your child's upset, her yes. feelings become intense, last a while, and then evaporate. Her topsy-turvy limbic system yeah. heals fastest when it has her full concentration and yours on these feelings. I then, love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that part. I, I'm not looking at the, the exactly the quote, but those feelings heal best with her full attention and your full attention. Yeah. So we're, our, our only job is to help the child be able to really let their attention stay on that, that, that uncomfortable thing or that mm -hmm. hard feeling or that tension. And because we are putting our full attention on it. Yeah. And, and over and over again, she just says, like, you just say, I'm here with you. You know, I see you. I'm here with you. I'm and, sorry. It's so hard right now. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. And we all right now have subconscious parts of our brain and, and, and responses and reactions and voices kind of in our head that come up throughout time that are things our parents would say or do, you know, like if you have a tendency to think something is funny or to get frustrated about something, it's, it's often because it was a reaction, a co-regulation that you, that you adopted from your parents. And so I love her idea of saying, if you, if you are just doing that, when they're upset, you're just saying, I'm here with you. I see you're upset. It's going to be okay. Those voices become part of their subconscious programming and part of eventually what what they say to themselves and what their mind automatically says to themselves when they're going through these and if you flip out when your kid is freaking out and if you get so tense and whatever and even try and maybe say the right things but you're just like oh my god my child's a psychopath or something um that's what that's what the little subconscious voices are also going to say in your child's head yeah. Yeah. And so I want to talk a little bit about the stay listening and how it combines with setting limits, which is like my nemesis, right? I'm terrible at setting limits. Mm. And um, I've gone through phases with, with this where, you know, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to get better at setting limits and I need to be like confident and firm, you know, while still warm and loving. And like, you know, I've been through all kinds of experiments and and then I'll go through phases where I'm like, you know, I really am just going to give my child as ma maximum freedom and independence. If she's, if nobody's safety is at stake and if the house isn't going to get damaged, that's, that's a big one in my house, you know, is a lot of limits are about not damaging all of our stuff and um, not making huge messes because like I have other things to do than clean up all day long. Sorry, I got off track there. So with the setting limits, what the, the gift that I'm hearing is that the limit, you know, is, is I think there's a difference between when a, when a child is really innocently explore, exploring out of curiosity, and then I'm going to find some way to help my child get a yes there to do what it is that they want to do. But they're, you know, they're playing, they're exploring, they're being curious. That's one thing. And then like, I'll see when my daughter is, there's something rigid, there's something off, there's something tense about whatever her 
thing is that she wants to do that I don't want to do or that I want her to do that she doesn't want to do whatever the tension is there you know when there's I, I'm starting to be able to notice when there's I feel like this is a, a moment where I can set a limit and it's going to give her the opportunity to offload something because it's not about the shoes or the jacket or the green cup or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And I actually, it feels like I'm like, Oh, great. Here's my, here's the moment, right. Mm -hmm. Where I can by setting a limit, give her the gift of getting to melt down. And I think Patty called it like constructively falling apart where like she is going to keep finding something to push my buttons until I set a limit so that she can fall apart. She like, she somehow knows she has this, you know, emotional repair process that knows that something's not right in her system and that she needs connection and that she needs support. And she will, I guarantee, find a way to push me until I will settle in it. Yeah. And then she can fall apart. And then like the world goes back, like everything writes itself for yeah. both of us actually. So I'm now I'm starting to feel like thank oh thank goodness here it is. There's this is a moment for us to connect and for us to, you know, I and I've heard Janet Lansbury say that many, many times and believed her, but not I'm starting to get it like a little bit more mm -hmm. and be able to pra practice it of like, yes, I get to set a limit. Here mm -hmm. we go. And we're going to, it's going to be really connecting actually. Yeah. Let's just stick on setting limits for a little bit. She, she spoke about uh, just that shifting that framework that setting limits isn't about punishment. It's not about, it's not about setting yourself in charge as the boss and then the, the child or something like that. It is about connecting, like you're saying, which is a different, a different context than most people have to setting limits. And as you were talking, I was liking it, you know, like she doesn't want to hurt herself. She doesn't want to hurt other people. She doesn't have, and certainly not in all times, have the like fully developed prefrontal cortex to like fully grasp that and the implications of harming, harming herself or others or whatever. So you are that for her and it is a connection between you and, and her. It is that like symbiosis. Um, you don't want her damaging her house on some level. She doesn't want to live in a damaged house either. Um, and yeah. so that is also you connecting. And then also when your limits are just purely about you, they aren't about like you being her frontal lobe. You aren't about being, you know, her making sure she doesn't damage her room because she's going to want to sleep in a comfortable bed tomorrow or something like that. This is just about, Kara's limits or, t or Tony's limits mm -hmm. that's still yeah connection like you want in your interaction with people Elsie Jane or Arlo or any child you want to be playing off of the other person's needs and the other person's boundaries and and your own and and so yeah that's still that limit is still about connecting with with your child and it's still certainly in their best interest yeah yeah and when I have the like the real certainty that like it's okay for me to set this limit I'm not crushing my child's spirit I'm not like <laughs> damaging her I'm actually doing something really healthy and saying whether it's for her or maybe if it's for me you know like um like I can't listen to you and read at the same time um so I'm going to finish this and then I'll be able to pay attention to you 
and really listen. Yeah. Or whatever it is. I mean, it's I can be much more warm and gentle and the limit works a lot better than if I have some tension for myself of like, it, it comes out different, right? It comes out as like, I can't, I can't do that right now. Like, ah, I'm cooking or whatever, right? So I love that the author of this book is always about warmth, warmth, warmth. You bring the limit with, with physical closeness and warmth and very few words, as few words as possible. I love that part. Like yeah. the least amount of words because it's not a logical cognitive thing it's a it's a, 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 a more of a bear hug thing sometimes of i'm gonna stop you or whatever it is yeah soft and warm and and close that's gonna be a growing edge for me uh but i liked her saying that when your child is in the right frame of mind they don't need all those words and when they're not they don't matter anyway it's the word, the words aren't going to get through anyway. So yeah, I, I was right. totally with you. I liked her encouraging us to talk less, set limits and, and talk with your presence and your actions. You know, she, she also discouraged like making a bunch of rules and like each time something comes up, let it come up over and over and over again. And the rationale behind your like rules or whatever can stay consistent, but um we do the same thing in radical honesty. We don't try and make a whole lot of rules in the community because in a way that's a way of avoiding the experience of what we're, what we're going through. And if you keep coming up against a rule, there's something there that needs to be discussed and addressed. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I like that she also in setting limits in chapter five uh, didn't want to just have them be rules. And she also yeah. mentioned always setting the limits before you're upset uh that like yeah that requires a lot of self-awareness and and look at yeah requests you can make instead of just like um you know coming up against i i had a good thing that came up for me with with this limit setting um so i had an employee <clears throat> who is a volunteer for us for for years and after he was done volunteering we hired him on as a as a as a full-time staff member and he kind of still kept relating to the job as a volunteer. He would kind of pick and choose and just wouldn't do certain tasks. And instead of like really getting mad at him or rationalizing or even talking to him about it, I was just like, okay, you know, I guess we owe it to him. He volunteered with us for two years or whatever. And so I didn't really strongly make all the requests and really set my limits and my boundaries for him. And then eventually it, I, it, it just broke and I fired him and, and the, you know, it's, it hasn't been good for the relationship, hasn't been good for the organization. And it's just, it came up for me in this chapter five of, of setting limits that you want to do that before you're upset, before you're, you know, ready to fire someone or whatever. I think you, you up just a little bit when you were, I think you were saying the, the helpful part was like to, to act earlier on before mm -hmm. you're so frustrated or yeah. angry. Yeah. And use humor when yeah. you, while you still can. All of that is, you know, if you're finding yourself mad, there's some limit that you failed to set. There's some request you failed to make, and so, yeah, look, looking, looking at doing that earlier while you can is is good. Yeah, okay. So I anything else? Get better at that. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about setting limits in this this chapter? Well, the 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 one thing I want to say about for myself is 
when it comes to setting the limit, if I set a limit and my child says no, like the other day we were at a play date and I'm sure she was feeling not connected to me because I was connecting with the mom and she was connecting with her friends for like three hours, right? And then after three hours of being in different worlds, suddenly I come in and say, it's time to go. And she's like, no. And it was this big, long, drawn out thing for like 10 minutes of like, she was running away. She was running in the house and hiding, which we were trying to be staying outside, um, all this stuff. And, and at that point, my like adult brain starts going, okay, it's, we have to go now. Like I'm starving. It's going to be like an hour till we eat something already. We've got to go now. And I have to make her and I have to force her and I have to somehow make it happen. And um, I sort of like <sighs> gathered myself a little bit and was like, I'm going to stay warm. And I know that we're not connected right now. And somehow we're going to figure this out. And my knee jerk reaction is to be like, we're never coming back to this child, to this house again, if you can't leave when it's on time, right? Which those words have come out of my mouth before. Or other threats that make no difference, right? Like she's going to want to leave more knowing that she might never get to come back, right? <laughs> it makes no sense for me to say that. Or stuff like we can hold hands or I can pick you up and carry you. Or maybe your friend can hold your hand on the way to the car. And, and anyway, I just, there's something for me that I have to learn about if I just, I don't have to do any of that. I don't have to do any of it. All, if I just get close to her, make eye contact as much as possible, maybe lay a hand on her if I'm able to, and just, just with my presence, insist that um, we're going to get in the car now. It's not about forcing her, it's about getting close enough to her and staying warm while also insisting <laughs> And she did finally just walk willingly with holding her friend's hand to the car and got in the car. Yeah. But I had to really work hard to mm -hmm. stay calm and warm and think I don't need to threaten or punish or bribe or anything. I just need to be close enough to her and warm enough and attempting to connect with her while holding the limit. I'm not going to say, okay, fine. You can stay here while I go and pick up food and I'll come back in an hour or whatever. Right. So yeah. for me personally, that there's something important about that. Yeah. And, you know, in a lot of those instances, you're both kind of pushing in opposite directions and, and my inclination, my natural, you know, tendency is just to push harder, push in a slightly different way, come up with a better angle of why we should go in the direction I'm pushing. But yeah, the idea of this, and, and I love it so much more, and it's so much more respectful of your child is like, wrap yourself around where they're pushing, hear it, listen to it, make sure they know that you hear it. And it doesn't mean you have to go that way. It just means you have to just like, yes, I, I, I'm there with you. I hear you. You really want to stay. You really want whatever. We're going to have to go. We're going to be going. Yeah. And I don't have to defend my decision. I don't have to explain it. I don't have to give her the rundown of the timetable. She doesn't care about any of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that what you just said, um, I, I think is a great segue into um, play listening. So this is the thing for me that is very new to me. 
and I, I just, uh, I'm very fascinated with this idea of using play to get out of this pushing against. And what I think is so genius about this um, is she, so there's a whole chapter on this in the book about using play to build cooperation and get it back into a safe and connected place with each other. It's all about not just fun and games and laughing and joking around, but it's about taking the thing that is bothering the child and actually um, exaggerating it or like actually augmenting that thing rather than pushing against it. So like one of the examples is the picky eater, which I love. Um, so like normally if a child says like, you know, you just spent the last hour and a half cooking dinner and putting like beautiful nutritious food on the table and your child comes up and takes one look at it and is like, I'm not eating any of that. And I happen to know that she maybe hasn't eaten much of anything for like the last three meals. And I'm like, oh my God. And my, my first response is like, you know, try it, you might like it. Or I just spent the last hour cooking this. Would you please take a bite, one bite and see what it tastes like? Or peas are really good for you. This is growing food and your body's gonna love this, right? And all of that is saying, whatever the child's response is, all of that is saying, nope, that's not the right response, do this instead. And instead the, the play listening approach is, that to like do a funny voice or a funny face or whatever and be like oh my yes that pea does look very squishy and green i don't think it's gonna taste very good i don't know if i would put that in your mouth so you're going with what the child is saying the child's like gross i don't want to eat that and then you as the parent play around with that which i just think is so genius because you're 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 giving them more you're going right into the thing that you want to resist you are actually going with it instead in a mm -hmm. playful way mm -hmm. yeah i like that a lot too and there's so many good examples in the book of parents you know playing in different ways and and trying to bring to light or bring lightness to it's really both it's bringing to light some some issues, but it's also bringing lightness to the concerns and issues that are coming off and, you know, not taking everything, everything so seriously. There are times, of course, where your children are taking their stuff very seriously. And I don't know if it helps in those moments to make light of it while still finding empathy for it or not. But yeah, it's definitely my favorite way to go. And I know that sometimes I'm using humor as a way to avoid my experience. And sometimes I'm using humor because I just find life absurd and I find the minutia of the moment absurd and, and I want to even yeah. poke fun at my own inability to, to step out of myself and out of my you know, immediate circumstances and, and make light of that. So whether it's a little bit of escape or avoidance right. or not, it's my favorite form of avoidance. Right. And I think, you know, there's so much wisdom in it. Like I... I I think it's probably this, this lightening up thing is one of the most important things I've learned from Brad. Mm. He often will say at workshops, you know, when, when, when somebody is just really stuck in their own, you know, like 
drama about something that feels super tragic or super important or just, you know, and he says, well, is, it, is there some way in which this is, he probably doesn't say it as a question though, he's probably like, well, it's not that deadly serious. And there's this way that we just get locked into, we get locked into something so tightly and, you know, being able to um, genuinely laugh and smile and stuff, that's all associated with the ventral vagal, you know, with mm -hmm. the safe and connected mm -hmm. yes brain space. It's not possible to genuinely laugh and smile and play without that, uh, that is by definition, that is in the green zone of, mm -hmm. of you know, safe and connected. Yeah. So it's a way of dealing with conflict right out loud, uh, dealing with the tension in this this warm and connected way. Yeah, it is one of the things I've loved about radical honesty. It's like, even we're in something serious, like we're not allowed to avoid our experience in really any other way, but there's often like a little bit of like a asterisk for humor, like people who just like, like take us off path because they interject some joke. If it's funny enough, it's like, it gets, it gets a yeah. pass. Yeah, uh, well, makes... but I don't, I don't think it's avoiding though, actually. Yeah. I mean, I do think we use sarcasm and laughing sometimes as avoiding. Mm. I think it's like a little flash of little insight, little wisdom dropping in of like, oh yeah, like in this great big universe where we all live and die, it's not that important yeah 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 and you don't want to yeah distract and it, it was a tough balance I loved a lot of her examples like when she talked about her son being really violent sometimes this was in the later chapter um where you when you're at your wits end what what chapter was that that was yeah it was 10 they referred oh, to it 10 as chapter 10, 10. Mm -hmm. she, so she's she then plays that he's the lion and you know he's biting or scratching or kicking or whatever he's doing and so she's like oh the lion's here or whatever and then she's like i've read that lions can be tamed with 100 kisses or whatever and then she like tries to kiss him and i don't know i mean at one point you want to let them be angry also you don't want to be distracting them from their anger but it it, it was a good example of just like a light-hearted way or way of meeting meeting love meeting that anger with love yeah, and I, I, I'm seeing now that through that a lot of those play scenarios that she describes in the book, it's really just a way of getting some physical warmth and contact and just physical closeness and affection, mm -hmm. you know, um, even my daughter's five, she's still very affectionate and cuddly, but I mean, not as much as when she was two and we were just, I felt like we were like attached by the skin, you know. Mm -hmm for months at a time, you know, it's like, she's so active and running around that it's really for us to have that physical closeness of playing together, even mm -hmm. if it's, if, whether it's cuddling or wrestling, it's, there's something to that physical closeness. Yeah. That reminds me of one of her big play scenarios that she talks about is the um, power reversal, where you play any kind of games or wrestling or chasing, actually, never quite knew what to do in these situations because I, it felt artificial to me to like let her win, even though, even if I could run faster or I could, 
And I get it now that she's suggesting that you let the child win, not because you're protecting their ego or because you don't want to like upset them or something like that, but that you're giving them this chance to like be the strongest one for once. You know, it's like they're, I just, I imagine if I was a child and everyone around me was five times taller than me and stronger than me and knew how to drive cars and knew how to read and knew all this stuff that I didn't know yet and and were stronger than me and could overpower me whenever they wanted to that I would want to get to be the strong and, and be the fastest one and to win and so I have a this, my thinking on this has shifted a little bit mm-hmm. I'd love to wrestle with her and play games out like oh my god you, I can't you know you're so strong and to lose you know, outrageously on purpose. And it's, mm-hmm. she knows that I'm playing and it still gives her, she loves it. It gives yeah. her something that she like needs. Yeah. I really love playing and pretending, especially when it's often, when it's obvious that you're playing and pretending. So much of us, we train ourselves to play and pretend and play roles that then we forget we're playing. Uh, so those right. are games of pretend, pretend games that both parties know are pretend. And then I also think there are opportunities to treat your child as the smarter one, the wiser one, whatever, that are genuine. I mean, to, right. to thank your child for reminding you to be present, to thank your child, remind your child how fucking good they are at feeling and expressing their emotions. There are these things that our kids are better at than us um, and, yeah. and giving them a chance to be the be the wise one, the one who knows something in those moments is actually genuine. I, I, I've got to mention when we're talking about the play listening, the, the one thing that just really didn't come naturally to me is, is <clears throat> she said, especially when kids are upset, but really at any time, tickling to elicit uh, like an involuntary reaction isn't good. And she said it a few times briefly, but, but it was a kind of a profound thing for me. I have an issue. I really want to teach my kid, especially girls, but my, my son as well, that like his body is his own, that that I don't get to manipulate and move and 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 manage his body without his permission. And and on some level, all the kissing and stuff, you know, could could kind of run counter to that. But certainly the tickling thing, she's like, this forces like a laughter response that is an interruption of what they're what is really going on in their body. And it, and she really discourages tickling, probably unless it's in a mode where it's like, you know, it's what your kid is wanting or you're both tickling each other or something, but not simply as a way of like, your kid is kind of upset or lethargic and you wanna, you know, and you wanna kind of force that, that joy. Yeah, and sort of distract them by, and cause that's, I'm so glad you said that Tony, cause that's the confusing thing about tickling is that a child can, giggle uproariously from being tickled without actually enjoying it mm-hmm. it doesn't mean they're having a good time just because they're laughing because mm-hmm. it's just kind of this reflexive like compulsive mm-hmm. laughter yeah and yeah I and and I'm glad you said that because you know I think she calls it play listening because when we intervene in our child's play that's a little bit of a like balancing act right so like we have to be so paying attention and really really seeing 
everything about their, their, everything that they're showing us in their body, body posture and expression and language and everything. So she talks about following the giggles, right? So uh, not tickling kind of giggles, but that the minute that we do something that's a little bit, eh, our, our kid didn't like it, we have to correct ourselves. If they get, they didn't want to wrestle in that way or they got scared or something, then we're, we have to be so in tune with their cues so that the play is good for them and it's not overpowering. Because, you know, I, some people are not into this play thing. Like um, Janet Lansbury, I've heard her say, you know, that she's not a fan of like playing in this way. Um, so I, I kind of appreciate this other perspective because I have been a Janet Lansbury groupie for like, like five years. So I always thought I don't need to play with my child. My, my child is in charge of their play. She can do what she wants. She can play on her own. And the, that was great for me for a long time. And now, I don't know if it's an age thing or a different stage of development, but my daughter really wants to play with me. She mm -hmm. wants to play with me. She mm -hmm. wants to play with anyone who's around. Yeah. But that's me a lot of the times. Yeah. And um, I'm sort of now giving myself permission to actually play with her. Yeah, you've said before, it's not your job to entertain your child. Your child is capable of entertaining themselves. And at the same time, uh, yeah, it's, it, your child does want to play with you and it is one of the best tools you have for connecting with your child. So let's hit on, I'll make sure we hit on all five of the, of the things my hands are gross because yeah. I've been doing construction. But so we've talked about setting oh, limits, nice. yeah. We've talked about setting limits. Uh, we've just talked about play listening. Um, we talked a we little talked about, about stay the, listening, the listening partnership, and then the stay listening is just being with your child and mm -hmm. listening when they're falling apart and having totally. good feelings. And so the last one is special time, which is actually the first one in the book, because mm -hmm. I think it's such a foundation for all of this where we're not waiting for our kids to feel disconnected and start doing, you know, like behavior that we don't like. We go ahead and preemptively try to fill up their, you know, their love and attention buckets with, with our undivided attention for, she recommends like, you know, even if it's 10 minutes a day, I've been trying like 20, 30 minutes with my daughter and it's surprisingly hard actually. <laughs> I was shocked. And do you call it special time with your daughter or how do you kind of designate yeah. it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I call it special time. She got it right away. It was like maybe only the first time that I was like, um, let's have some time with just me and you and we can do whatever you want. And I'm going to not look at my phone or any, anything. And now when she describes it, she says, oh yeah, special time is when it's just me and mommy and she doesn't do any grown up stuff. That's great. <laughs> I, I cannot believe how hard it is for me. It's very enlightening because I'll be sitting in the room, in her room, and I'll start like, I'm paying attention to her. And then I'll start like, I'll see stuff on the ground and I'll start picking it up and putting it away. And I have to stop myself. Hmm. Or I'll be like, oh, I'm just going to go get a glass of water from the kitchen and I'll be right back. And then I'm in the kitchen. I'm like, well, I'm just going to like look at my phone for a second. I like, I really have to totally 
have a limit there of like, I'm not doing anything else. I'm not going to the bathroom. I'm not getting a glass of water. I'm just paying attention fully to my daughter for mm-hmm. 20 minutes or whatever it is. Cool. So then the other kind of like step piece was in that last chapter. So uh, about the, about what to do when you're at wit's end, I wanted to go through her kind of like five points there. So the, the, the five steps for, you know, when your child is like really having a lot of anger or upset, the first is observe, like there's so much to say about observe, but one piece of it is just like also observe, start to learn when this is happening so that you can like understand it before it's gotten like to the red volcano situation. The second step was abandon false hopes. So it's like, don't, don't, don't hope like, oh, this is going to be the one breakfast where she doesn't get upset. She gets upset every breakfast, but this is going to be the one. Or like when I don't, when yeah. she doesn't get a nap, she's always, you know, so I'm bracing myself, just like be ready for it. And just like, accept this is part of the journey. So observe, abandon false hopes. Remember, it's your job to keep everyone safe, your child and, and anyone else. So if they're lashing out, they're scratching, they're fighting, um, that is your role as a, as a parent. Fourth was the talk less. Let your presence communicate your limits. Let your actions communicate your words. Um, your words aren't that helpful, aren't helpful when, they, when, the, when that part of their brain isn't that activated. And then the last one is, is try and elicit laughter. Try and keep it light for yourself and for your child. I really liked those, those tips. That was pretty much the last chapter. What yeah. else did you want to say about it? Oh, the thing I remember from that chapter about what to do, how to connect with your child when you're at wit's end is she says, just lay on the floor. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I can remember that in moments of crisis. Just lay on the floor. That's all I remember. Good. I'm going to try it next time. Yeah, I'll take it. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you guys for joining us. This is the Radical Parenting Podcast. We come to you every week. Uh, We're live on the radio, 92.9 FM, 89.3 HD3. Also, uh, denveropenmedia.org. We also are uh, now on all the podcast outlets. Um, So thank you for for joining us. And uh, we'll see you in a week. Bye. Bye.